Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. I'm Veronica Ambuel, Director of Communications for the Diocese of Colorado Springs, and I'm joined today by Deacon Patrick Jones, who's an award-winning author of Catholic fiction and the founder of Catholic Halos. And uh, joining us again this week, we have Donna Hessel, who um, has many years of uh, leading faith formation at St. Peter Parish and Monument, and who has also taught at the uh, Denver Catholic Catechetical School and currently serves as Vice Chancellor uh, here in the Diocese of Colorado Springs. Uh, so before we start our discussion today, uh, Deacon Patrick, can you lead us in an opening prayer? In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora panobis peccatoribus, nunc in anora mortis nostrae. Amen. So um, for our topic today, we are going to um, change, uh, change gears a bit. We have been discussing uh, the documents of Vatican II, but um, we thought it would be helpful, um, especially as we're kind of getting close to the Advent season, to talk about... Um, the precepts of the church, uh, which are, for those who may want to look them up, discussed in starting with paragraph 2041 in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Deacon Patrick, uh, can you kind of give us a baseline definition of what the precepts are? Well, they're, um, first of all, we're, we're looking at doing a series uh, on the uh, the early pages at the front of the prayer book. Um, and of course, everybody's prayer book is different. So this will be its own journey and who has what prayer books. Uh, but um, we often skip over those pages, at least I do. Uh, and um, they're, they're wonderful to remind us of what are the foundations and the disciplines um, to living out our Catholic faith so that we're integrating it into daily life. Uh, and, and that's very much the case with the six precepts of the church of um, the beginning of paragraph uh, 2041 describes them as they're set in the context of a moral life bound to and nourished by liturgical life. And the obligatory character of these positive laws decreed by the pastoral authorities is meant to guarantee to the faithful the indispensable minimum, and the minimum there is key, uh, in the spirit of prayer and moral effort, in the growth in love of God and neighbor. And so um, describing you know, the whole purpose of, of our Catholic halo is sharing our journey running towards Christ and to help each other run towards Christ. Uh, and so the first precept of the church, um, is, uh, given, uh, Donna, do you want to dive in here? Um, attending mass on Sunday and holy days of obligation. And it also interestingly enough says, and rest from servile labor. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, I'm wondering what labor isn't servile. <laughs> well, you know, actually, that's it's it is interesting that that's part of this because um, as part of the Eucharistic revival content that um, that Father Jim Barron has been creating for the Herald, um, in conjunction with that. I, and I, I think it's a it's a great idea. Is um, he is doing a series called called um, restoring Sundays as the Lord's Day, and um, he really. And I have to say, I flinched a bit, you know, when I, I or shall I say, saw myself um, <laughs> uh, in in uh, the the first article he did, which appeared in our um, our I think it was our October seventh issue, but. You know, you know, so right, obviously, okay, we on Sundays, we we know that um, unless, you know, you're incapacitated or something, you're obligated to attend mass. But, you know, he was saying that there's there's a, a, another obligation to, for example, try to limit the um, amount of time dedicated to, you know, sports um, and that's maybe not so much watching sports, but, you know, like traveling traveling to sports. Um, and, and then also, and this is the one that really kind of got me, um, li limiting maybe the amount of time we spend, you know, doing laundry and grocery shopping, like maybe we should try to get those things done on Saturday, you know, so that, uh, Sunday could be a, a day of rest. So, um, you know, I, again, going back to the, um, idea that this is the, the minimum. Uh, yes, we want to make sure that we get to mass on Sunday or, you know, a Saturday vigil mass, if that's all we can do. But then we want to go beyond that and try to keep Sunday as a, as a special day set apart, you know, where we're spending time with our families doing things. And I, like said, I find that for me as someone, you know, who works full time, I find that challenging. <laughs> <laughs> well. it, it is challenging. You know, if you look in the catechism for this precept, it, it directs you to several canons. And one of them is canon 1247. And I don't know if this is going to help you, Veronica, or not. But yes, uh, the canon says that we are to participate in mass and abstain from works and affairs that hinder worship, joy, and suitable relaxation of mind and body. I mean, and it's, you know, that's interesting because, I mean, there's be some things that are open to interpretation, I suppose, in, in that, right? I mean, because what one person finds relaxing, maybe another person finds really uh, tiring, you know, Watching a um, bunch of guys pummel each other on a football field <laughs> as, as an off example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, it makes me wonder because oftentimes Sunday is the only day that I can go out and pull weeds. Now, I tend to when I pull weeds um, so that I don't get too frustrated to, to make that a prayer time. So I'm thinking... Does this actually mean that I could I should just quit pulling weeds altogether, or is it all right to pull weeds on a Sunday if during that whole time I'm offering up prayers to God? 
I'll let you two decide if I should do that or not. <laughs> well, it's not it's not ours. Thou shalt not judge in, in a case like this. <laughs> I see. <Okay>. However, <laughs> the uh, one of the sets of words of wisdom, and I can't recall the source, but I've heard it from multiple places, is it if the flavor of what you're doing in prayer on Sunday is different than the labor of your prayer and the prayerful labor you do the other six days, then that's, that's a huge step in the right direction and may well mean that it's rest for you. Um, and I'll, <clears throat> this may or may not shed any light on, on what you both have talked about, but, um, the uh the whap upside the head that i got with this was uh when i was working full time uh going through um donna the uh, the masters uh program that we did uh, a few years together before before i uh entered the diaconate uh, more fully and then um uh family life and uh I was told, no, the way to handle all this being piled on at once is to give God a full day, just like financially, give God the first 10%. God can do more with that 90% or six days uh, than you can do with 100% or seven days. And so I went through my calendar and I X'd out Sunday not in the sense of removing it, but in the sense of freeing it. And an astonishing thing happened. Uh, started waking up on Sunday morning. And instead of feeling the burden of uh, what all do I have to do? Um, it was like waking up as a child on Christmas morning here's this gift of a day and everything that is happening today is in support of right relationship and right relationship being a reference to, uh, Jesus in Matthew, um, 22, 37 through 40, where he describes, uh, love the Lord, your God. And the second most important commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And, um, that's one rule because we love the way we can ensure we love God as the saints tell us is by loving our neighbor. Um, we can very well deceive ourselves in to believing that we're loving God, but if we're loving our neighbor, then we can be sure of it. Um, and so as a family, we came up with the idea of right relationship is our one rule any other rules we have to come up with must support that one. Uh, and so, um, there was some place I was going here and my brain got in the way of where I was heading. Uh, just that joy of waking up on Sunday morning and having it be, uh, like Christmas and, um, the unexpected joy of, yeah, we can get together with family or friends. Um, and yes, I had some work things to do because working at a parish, things had to happen on Sunday. So there were some things I had to do on some Sundays, but I kept that to an absolute minimum of, of requirement. Um, 
so that's that's what my own personal journey with the uh, the first and fourth <laughs> kind of combine into one uh, precept of the church. Well, and the, I guess um, the other part of that is, um, you know, the holy days of obligation. And, um, you know, I, I there's been a lot of discussion um, in recent years, or at least I've, I've noticed there's been some discussion, you know, about, um, you know, for example, whether the, you know, holy days of obligation that fall on a Monday, you know, should the parish have mass? Shouldn't they have mass? You know, that kind of thing. And I, I guess, you know, and I do understand the practical considerations with, with all of that, you know, um, the priests um, can't be going 20, 24 seven, but it does make you a little bit sad sometimes when you hear people complaining. I, I think, um, you know, last year, if as I recall, um, Christmas was on a Saturday, I think. And so, you know, some people were kind of complaining about having to go to Mass two days in a row and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, again, it, it, it's, it, it's, you know, generally the Holy Days, you know, we should be happy that we have an extra <laughs> opportunity, you know, to um, to get to Mass and celebrate these different feast days, you know? Um, so it's I, I kind of looking at it the wrong direction, isn't it? it? The challenge is, uh, how do we recognize the gift of what the church is calling us to here? And, and what is it that God's giving us with wild abandon and how do we receive it with wild abandon? Yeah. And I think, you know, that Deacon Patrick, you really touched on an important point there is that, um, to a certain extent, it it takes our you know, it requires us to trust God to take time out of our busy schedules and say no, I'm going to set aside this time, you know, and um, as you said, you know, uh, trusting that God will in the in the once we give Him the the best part, so to speak, then He will allow us to make the most of the rest of it, you know? Um, but that takes, that takes a supernatural outlook, um, that I think we always have to, um, be examining our conscience about, you know, do I, do I really trust that God knows better than I do the best use of my time? (laughs) Um, and, you know, I, I know in my own life, again, with my struggles about Sundays and things like that, I'm like, well, yeah, you probably could, could do better, uh, in that area so that, um, there's just, you know, giving God kind of the room to work, uh, in that space, um, would, would be good. But, um, well, one thing that our family came to understand is when we were struggling with, um, my early days of brain injury and, all the challenge and burden that put on my wife. Uh, and she was taking care of, uh, not just two new, uh, one new baby and one two year old, uh, but also me. Um, 
and there was a whole lot of, we understand brain injury a whole lot more and how to navigate it compared to then. Um, it was easy to slip into, well, because of um, the medical situation and, and the burden on her family, she didn't, she slipped away from being able to go to mass as often as, um, she found beneficial later. And, uh, we reached this point of, well, wait, if the discipline that we want to have as a family is that we sit down and have meals together each day, shouldn't that be the case with God at least weekly? Um, where we go to God's house and, and, uh, and, and enter into a pre-taste, the taste of the wedding feast um, and receive Christ. And that's how we turned it around so that, okay, it's it, obligation sounds like it's a burden, but when you look at the word discipline, you can look at it two ways. Discipline can be punishment or it can be rigorous, um, training and study and <laughs> application of skills and and mindfulness to get something done right and well. And so cultivating the disciplines of the precepts of the church are foundational to our faith. Well, that kind of, that is a good way to move into the second precept, at least the second that's listed here in the catechism about um, confessing sins at least once a year. Um, and it, says here that it ensures preparation for the Eucharist by the reception of the Sacrament of Reconciliation, which continues baptism's work of uh, conversion and forgiveness. And um, I, I had been, I mean, I have been going to, you know, confession regularly for a number of years, but um, I was still a little bit surprised that that was actually um, a, a precept of the church that that it be once a year, and I, I think in some versions it's it's stated um, with, with a specific reference to to mortal sins. But um, you know, the, I, I I think it's it's a good reminder because uh, I I mean I think we've all spoken to people who think well you're, you know who have kind of said something along the lines of well I haven't done anything really wrong you know um, so getting to confession isn't um, a priority but as you said Deacon Patrick it, the the confession is so much more than just not having mortal sin on our conscience it's also a way to grow in virtue by maybe focusing on um, a specific uh, uh, venial sin that we that maybe is kind of entrenched in our in our pattern, you know, in our our uh, our habits. Um, you know, it could it could be something like gossiping, or it could be um, uh, maybe you know, struggle with order, things like that. So, you know, it's one of the ways that we can think about the importance of confession is to realize that it helps us to whatever, whatever vice that we're trying to overcome, it helps us to, to grow in that, in the virtue that's needed. 
something Satan doesn't want us to realize is that even the smallest of sins reeks to heaven and is a flavor of one of the deadly sins. So I may be gossiping. The question is, why am I gossiping? And the answer to that question is probably because I'm trying to look good or seem like I know something or some other form of pride, which is a deadly sin. It's also, um, at the root of every sin that we commit, um, choosing to be our own God instead of accepting Christ as our God. Um, and so the, the journey for me with confession was, um, coming to realize that as I confessed, as I went to confession more and more, um, I actually hungered to do it more because my calibration and understanding of, oh, wait, that's a sin. And then I look back and I start seeing, okay, that's why the church has us praying for and forgive me for all the sins I committed that I haven't mentioned here parentheses, because I'm too deaf, blind, dumb, and stupid to realize it's a sin yet. Um, it helps grow muscles so that I can see what sins actually are. So my cali- I have an increased calibration of what sin is and what I need to do to be holy instead. And that's that growing discipline and the positive gift of confession. Um, yes. And I would just like to add one other piece to confession. Um, this sacrament, like all sacraments builds up the body of Christ and we can tend to forget, or at least I can, that, uh, you know, I want to think that, well, my sin is personal, but any sin that I commit has an effect on the whole body of Christ. And by receiving the sacrament, whether you want to call it confession, reconciliation, but by receiving that sacrament, I am helping to heal not only myself, but the entire body of Christ. And can you elaborate on that? Is there, because the saints slice it lots of different ways, but how do we explain that to a modern culture that is steeped in not understanding that. <laughs> you know, I when I would teach classes, I would oftentimes use the example of uh, you and your spouse had a fight this morning and you both left angry and doggone it, you're going to stay angry all day. Well, you're going to go to the office or you're going to go to the grocery store or you're going to drop your kids off at school and you're angry. And you, and you, maybe you called your spouse a name or whatever it is, but there's sin involved in this, right? So, no, there's not. That, <laughs> but that, so that that action that that sinful action that you took now permeates out into society because you're angry. So you're going to go to the grocery store and maybe you're going to yell at the clerk or the 
or the person bagging your groceries, or you drop your kid off at school and you yell at the person ahead of you in line because they didn't go through fast enough or whatever it is. So this personal sin now is going out into the community and you are affecting the body of Christ. That puts it beautifully. The uh, The way that I try to tell it in the, the stories I've written is um, there's a physics to the soul in that every choice we make turns us towards Christ or away from Christ, gives us motion toward Christ or away from Christ. And the, the, whenever I sin, my sinner inner, my sinner inside of me gets bigger and stronger and my saint gets smaller. Um, did I say that backwards? No, nope, my sinner gets right bigger there. and stronger. My saint gets smaller and weaker. When I, when I holy instead of sin, the opposite happens. My saint gets bigger and stronger and my sinner gets weaker. And so as my saint gets bigger and stronger, I'm able to see what St. Augustine describes as the best good more fully and accurately. I'm climbing that Jacob's ladder higher and I can see a better good to choose. Um, and that spreads holiness. It, and the opposite is true. If I'm digging a pit down into the ground, I'm becoming more and more deaf, blind, dumb, and stupid in my sin. And like you described, Donna, I'm spreading sin. And I'm putting other people in the near occasion of sin. And sinner feeds upon sinner just as saint feeds upon saint and grows. Um, and so, yeah, that makes a huge difference. Um, and, and the saints go take that idea so far. St. Teresa, uh, St. Catherine of Siena describes it as she felt responsible. It was her fault. All the sin of the world was her fault. And, when you understand you reading through her writing on this, you can, I can get glimpses of what she's talking about. I still have a long way to go to fully understand it. Uh, but it's this beautiful concept of we're each responsible for building the body of Christ through our mystical prayer and our choices of holiness. So then, um, the third precept is uh, you shall receive the sacrament of the Eucharist at least during the Easter se season. And the catechism states that this guarantees as a minimum the reception of the Lord's body and blood in connection with the Paschal feasts, the origin and center of the Christian liturgy. So, I mean, just on the face of it, this goes hand in hand with the other precept of going to confession once a year, I suppose. Um, you know, in the sense that in order to be able to uh, receive the Eucharist at Easter, you would, um, you know, need to go, probably need to go to confession before then, um, if you, if you haven't been. And, um, you know, it, I, I in reading this, actually, um, something that I, I remember Bishop Sheridan talking about um, in a, in a column years ago, it, uh, you know, 
it's still there's still value if, if for whatever reason in your personal situation you are not able to receive the eucharist there is still value in in going to mass and i think he had found that oftentimes that was maybe a point of confusion for people you know that um uh, you know, maybe just for example, they were remarried outside the church and couldn't go to communion, but he wanted everybody to realize that they could still go to mass, you know, um, and just not, not receive. And it does seem like that, that has, um, gotten lost a little bit, uh, these days in the sense that, um, there's this expectation that everybody maybe is going to go to communion at church, but, um, you know, it, it kind of, again, brings into focus that whole idea of, you know, are we in the proper disposition to receive the Eucharist, I think. Um, and then, and then we go into the fourth precept, which is, uh, observing the days of fasting and and abstinence. Um, so obviously we know that, for example, during Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, we are um, uh, fasting and abstaining. And then on the Fridays of Lent, we are uh, just abstaining uh, from, from meat, but uh, not necessarily, not required to fast. And this, just to clarify, the this is the fifth precept because the fourth precept is basically a continuation of the first one. Um, you shall keep holy the holy days of obligation. Um, and the... Um, the challenge here is, one, it's kind of a fad in society to fast and there are many definitions of what fasting means both inside the church and outside the church um and then also all of these are not they're not dogmas there isn't a defined dogmatic way to fast um there's uh many ways and and so after vatican ii what that looks like gets and what the requirements are changed. Um, and, and so we could dive into the details and have several series of podcasts on that. Um, but the bottom line is that we're called to fast on Fridays throughout the year, fast and abstinence. And what that looks like for us might mean um, fasting and abstinence as we're used to hearing and understanding it. It may be spiritual acts of mercy, corporal acts of discipline, um, in, in various forms, uh, as prescribed by the bishops of the United States, uh, council Catholic conference of bishops. Um, so they make very clear in their 1966, uh, six document, uh, pastoral statement on penance and abstinence, that they're not doing away with um, ember uh, days. They're not doing away with days of um, reparation of penance throughout the year. They're they're taking away 
the requirement and thus the inherent sin of not doing them um, if you're not doing the food, fast, and abstinence uh, piece of it. Um, So that gets forgotten. And I think there's a, we've talked in the past about how manfulness as used by Catherine, St. Catherine of Siena, it's, it applies to men differently than women, but it applies to women. She uh, is called to manfulness herself by her beloved. Uh, And fasting builds manfulness. Uh, Abstinence builds manfulness. It's that discipline. Um, And it's, uh, I've found it a very powerful way uh, observing um, Fridays and uh, Ember days, uh, as, as I can, uh, even though the brain injury makes that challenging and not technically required, the fruit of it has been wonderful. Well, I think, oh, oh sorry. sorry, go ahead, Donna. I was just going to say, I think too, that as a society, we kind of forget why we fast and abstain. Um, so, oh, you Catholics or, or as you mentioned, Deacon Patrick, this whole fasting fad diet thing. Um, but why are we doing it? We are doing it to prepare for the liturgical feast where we receive the body and blood of Christ. And so that discipline that you speak of, we're, we're doing that so that we can put ourselves in the very best position to receive God's body and blood. And I think we forget about that sometimes. No better way to end than that. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I was just going to jump in and say we we are out of time. We're actually a little over time this week, um, so we we should uh, we can maybe uh, continue our discussion next time uh, with the remaining uh, precept. Um, but before we close, uh, Deacon Patrick, can you lead us in the a uh, closing prayer? In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sanctis. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora per nobis peccatoribus, nunc in anora mortis nostrae. Amen. Thanks everyone for joining us on this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. Just a reminder that you can find this episode and all past episodes on um, Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Google Google Pat excuse me, Google Podcasts and several other platforms. So feel free to uh, search and uh, check us out there. We'll have a good week. We'll talk to you next time.